For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. One of the more difficult conversations I've had in pastoral ministry was with a person who once approached me and uh, wanted to be baptized. Obviously, I was pretty excited to begin with, and a lot of enthusiasm, and began to meet with them and, and talk through their, their life and where they were at. And uh, they had encountered Jesus and experienced grace and love and, and were really excited uh, about, about who Jesus was and wanted to, to, to take the next step of baptism. But as I began to talk through uh, their life and the implications of it, uh, it came out that they uh, were, were, were looking at leaving their spouse and pursuing someone else that they had been falling in love with. And um, I had to push back on that and say, hey, listen, if, 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 if being baptized is about following Jesus... Uh, obeying him, submitting to him, then um, what if Jesus was to say that this is a bad idea and would tell you not to through his through through the word? Would you listen? And their response was no, that they wouldn't listen. And so, of course, there was no baptism. And uh, actually, that was the last conversation I had with that person. Um, and kind of heartbreaking. Um, but we're going to see here in the text in, in Matthew, at this point, there's, uh, there's this ongoing conversation as to uh, what Jesus is offering the people and the grace and the mercy and the goodness that he is uh, versus what he's, what he's calling other people to do in response to that and what it means to actually follow Jesus. Um, so uh, Matthew 12, starting in verse uh, 38. And some of the scribes uh, answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Uh, so... Uh, they had seen many signs. Jesus had already done uh, lots of signs already. Their politeness, though, was a veneer. Uh, by this point in time, they really hated Jesus. And uh, there was one quote I came across on this verse that said, uh, There's de their demand was wicked, for in addition to being insulting and impudent, they also were hypocritical, for they felt sure that what they said so politely asked Jesus to do, he could not do anyways. Uh, so they wanted to trap him. They wanted to, to corner him. Um, and you see their heart. Jesus' response here in uh, verse 39. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Um, Jesus exposed their hearts. Uh, he knew they were out to discredit him, to curb his influence among the crowd. He called them evil, that's morally corrupt. Um, and also he called them adulterous, and that he was implying that they were unfaithful to God. Uh, then verse 40, For just as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Uh, so Jesus here says, here's the sign I'm going to give you. He says, it's a sign of Jonah. Uh, and, and this won't make any sense to them at the time. Uh, in fact, it was probably quite a curious thing for him to say. It only made sense after the resurrection. He was comparing himself to the Old Testament prophet Jonah. Maybe you don't know Jonah or haven't seen the VeggieTales show about him. <laughs> um, uh, Jonah was a, a prophet. He was called by God to go to this, this city called Nineveh. Nineveh was an Assyrian city, and the Assyrians were messed up. They were a, a, a wicked, evil people. They did some horrendous stuff. And uh, Jonah hears the call of God to go and, and call on them to repent, and Jonah refuses. He knows who they are. They don't deserve God. They don't deserve grace. Uh, and so he flees the other way. He hops in a boat, and he goes the other direction. And uh, as he's running away, a huge storm comes up, and uh, it looks like they're all going to die, and Jonah sort of confesses. He says, hey, this is my fault. This is on me. And so the other sailors, they throw him overboard. And then he's swallowed by a fish, which seemed for a long time pretty ridiculous. And then only a couple of years ago, there's a story of a guy, actually a fisherman, being uh, swallowed and then sort of thrown back up again by a fish. So it does happen, apparently. 
Um, so Jonah is swallowed by a fish, spends three days in the fish. The fish uh, sort of swims him over to the shores of Nineveh, Nineveh spits him up, and then he reluctantly goes into the city. Still, uh, sort of almost a forced compliance where he tells the city, hey, you need to repent because God's going to destroy the city in 40 days. And then he leaves, and that's it. Uh, and so he, he, does, he's not, he doesn't put his heart into it. He doesn't really care. He's just going through the motions. But sure enough, Nineveh actually repents. Maybe they heard tell of this prophet that was spit up by a fish on their shores. Whatever it is, they repent. And so Jesus says, listen, the one sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. That, that Just like Jonah, I'm going to spend three days underground, and then we'll come back again. Um, uh, but he says that um, uh, in verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. He said, listen, the Ninevites, even the Assyrians repented at Jonah's preaching, um, but that generation is going to condemn you because you're not going to repent even at my preaching. Um, there's this this you know sort of contrast, Jesus uh, and Jonah. Uh, Jonah was... Uh, Jonah was a minor prophet, contrast that to Jesus, who is God himself. Uh, Jonah was sinful and rebellious, compare that to Jesus. His message was one of doom. Jonah said, in 40 days you'll be overthrown. Jesus' message was that of grace. Uh, there were no other accompanying miracles with Jonah's message. Jesus continually is healing people and multiplying loaves and fish, over and over miracles. Um, Jonah addressed to people with no other history of God. Uh, here Jesus is addressing people who say that they are leaders in the kingdom. Uh, then he goes on in verse 42, The queen of the south will rise at judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Uh, here Jesus is talking about the queen of Sheba who came up to hear Solomon. And, and so he, he, again, is contrasting uh, the, the queen of Sheba responding, being attracted uh, coming to hear, to respond to Solomon, and then comparing and contrasting Jesus and Solomon. Um, the, the queen braved hardship and a long journey to come and hear Jesus. Here we have the Pharisees who Jesus is in their backyard and they refuse to, to listen. Uh, she came to listen to Solomon himself, Solomon who was had his own, his own issues. She came to see Solomon and they have Jesus. Uh, she gave treasure to Solomon. The Pharisees have given nothing. Uh, she had only heard distant reports. The Pharisees have heard firsthand. Um, and the Queen of Sheba didn't seem to have any invitation. And here we have Jesus consistently calling them to come and listen, to hear. Uh, then we go on here, verse 43. Uh, and it takes a bit of a shift here, a little bit of a different, uh, different section. Uh, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, secret and rest, but finds none. Then it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation. So again, Jesus is condemning the, the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders of this generation. Um, and he's comparing them earlier to the Ninevites and to the Queen of Sheba. Uh, and here he uses this parable. And it, it's not meant for sort of demonology study. It's, it's a parable. Uh, and at the heart of this parable is really about, um, about the ambivalence they have towards Jesus. What is it they're seeking? What do the signs do? Maybe Jesus is healing someone, healing the physical body. But if the person remains ambivalent about Jesus, it'll be even worse for them in the end. 
And so he, he's calling on their heart and about response to Jesus, about following Jesus, about filling our lives with, with him and following him as Lord, as opposed to just uh, eating, eating perhaps the bread that Jesus provides in the, this miracle or drinking the wine at the wedding uh, and ignoring him. And so he's talking about the importance of, of not just being ambivalent towards him. Uh, verse 46. While he was still speaking the people, uh, to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my brother and who are my brother? Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my brothers, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Um, here he's, he's sort of talking again about um, Jesus' purpose, which was to adopt sons and daughters into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and, and about this relationship and about what a true relationship with Jesus is supposed to be, not just Jesus, the miracle worker, and people who, who, who take, consume, uh, and move on. And for me, uh, the, the stories and the sign of Jonah and uh, the story about the, the house that's cleaned and then, and then <laughs> sort of filled with evil spirits, um, for me, it comes back to this question of what do we want from God? Uh, do we want God to simply give us the miracle Give us the grace, give us the love, give us the acceptance, give us the forgiveness, and then leave us alone, quick and easy and cheap, so we can be on our way. Um, Romans 2.4 speaks to this. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to Repentance that the grace that God shows us, that these works, the miracles that Jesus was doing, um, <laughs> it wasn't just about being impressive. All of it was meant to lead people to a place of repentance. And, and, and it was missing the point if people weren't repenting, just like the repentance of the Ninevites at the sign of Jonah. Um, they want a sign, but they don't want to repent. And repentance isn't just feeling sorry. It's not just remorse. A repentance is an action of, of, of putting something down, releasing it, and then actually turning in a different direction. It involves surrender and walking towards something different. And, and as I think about, um, I think about the person uh, sat in my office and, and, and didn't want to follow Jesus with their, their relationships. Um, it was about, I, I want the grace. I want heaven. Um, but I still want things my way. They weren't willing to actually drop and repent and follow. And so there's this expectation that Jesus is putting on people when we encounter the grace. The grace is not just meant so that we can take it, consume it, enjoy it, and go about our merry way. The grace is supposed to lead us to repentance so that, that God uh, begins to convict us of things in our lives that we need to let go of, to drop, to turn, and walk towards Him instead, towards holiness. So often we encounter people whose life is just a mess and so they come to Jesus and, and things start to get better as they begin to pursue him and, and experience love and forgiveness and grace uh, and, and a community. But then as soon as things in their life are sort of back together, the pieces are, are, aren't quite as messy and life isn't quite as turbulent and chaotic, we see them begin to sort of go back to old ways and go back to, to doing life on their own, ignoring Jesus. And so there's the danger here that we see of... of uh, people using, trying to use God as a crutch while we're hurting, only to tuck him back in the closet when we can stand on our own two feet again. And, and Jesus wants to continually come back um, and challenge that and saying, no, it's not just about 
me in the difficult times. It's about me as Lord in all things at all times. And the surrender of him in this repentance, we turn instead to joy. And so what do we want Jesus to do for us? Do we just want a sign? Do we just want us to heal him to heal or, or provide? Do we just want him to make us feel warm and fuzzy and accepted? Or do we want to draw deeper into relationship with him where he continues to point out things in our lives that we need to let go of, repent of, and turn closer to him, walk closer to him um, with all of our lives? Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, that you do call us into life and that you don't let us settle for mediocre. Give us the courage to see the things that you're calling us to to release, to let go of, and that we would repent, that we would drop them, that we would walk away from them and go in a different direction. God, that we would not just uh, use you as a crutch and try and um, lean on you in in difficult times, but God, that, that, um, that in all seasons, in all things, you would be our hope, our source, and our joy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, hope you have a great day. We'll talk to you again soon.